everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 50, The Nephilim Wars, part 5, The Central Campaign. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode today, because for me, at least from my perspective and why I like The Central Campaign so much, is it starts to bring a lot more things into focus. And the clarity of connecting the dots in terms of the order of the battles that were taking place or the orders of the campaigns and a few other details come together in a way if you're paying attention to the details that we're going to cover today is going to start to make a lot more sense so if you look at just the order of the campaign where before uh, they go into the desert they're going to be attacked by the Amalekites who are trying to wipe them from the face of the earth as hybrids backed by Raphaim and wanting to usurp the covenant and the blessings and the Messianic uh, prophecies. And then after the 40 years, they go back to uh, Atherim where they were so fearful of the embellished report of the evil spies that they didn't want to fight and go and take the land of the covenant and so they went into into the desert so they went back and showed them that they could take that land uh, that they were so afraid of one generation before and as they move out of the wilderness they're not going to continue into the covenant land and through the southern region of of Philistines and Horim, they're actually going to go around to the Eastern Campaign and they're going to deal with the Raphaim kings and King Og who had 60 cities under his, his uh, control. So five pentapolis city centers, or 12 I mean at times five is 60. And Sihon had over 30, probably 40 would have been the number, um, using the pentapolis as the sort of the multiplier there and the divider. And also the five Midianite kings, which forms a pentapolis themselves, who through Keturah and Abraham also were hoping to wipe Israel from the face of the earth and perhaps also usurping the same blessings and promises and covenants that were promised to, to Israel. And so then they cross into... The promised land and in the promised land begins the central campaign and in chapter 46 uh, we covered the mighty seven nations in Jericho and the battle of Jericho and who the mighty seven nations were and how we define the words that were used in the mighty seven and how that came to play in Jericho and we're going to pick up in the central campaign at Jericho and, uh, and going back for a little bit of a reminder of some of these special words that are used in the Bible to let us know further details of what's going on. And Jericho is the start of the central campaign. So in episode 46, we're talked about who the mighty seven were as the Hittites and the Canaanites. So they were the only names other than Sidon, but Sidon's not listed in the Mighty Seven in terms of who are occupying the covenant land. 
Hittites and Canaanites, with Heth being the son of Canaan, are the only two offspring of Noah and his sons that are listed in the table of nations. All the other Canaanite nations are hybrid nations, just as Numbers 13 describes with all the different nations that included the Malachites, who we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, um, but other Canaanite nations who do not have a patriarch listed in the table of nations. So other nations that are included in the, in the seven are the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And we're going to be covering the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites today in the central campaign. And that we should expect with the details that are talked about in the central campaign that they would have a similar military setup as the Pentapolis city-states of the Philistines or the Midianites or, or King Og that we, that we talked about. And we're going to see that they actually do. And it, it's interesting sort of how it sort of comes together. And if you're wanting to review who the, the Mighty Seven are, go back to Deuteronomy 7 and Joshua 3.10 and you can read about the... And there are other passages, but for me those are the ones that I tend to go to most often. And so when we looked at mighty, um, that was the word of the mighty seven of the nations that were greater than Israel. Mighty goes back to the Hebrew word atzem, which is rooted in etzem. And atzem with an A means powerful, strong, and the strength in their hands or their paws to actually crush bones. So when we're talking about the kings, we need to understand who the Rephaim are and who the hybrids are. So the, the hybrids are like the Canaanite nations or the Amalekites that were talked about as opposed to the Malachim or the Rephaim or the Anakim who are the bone crushers. So they are taller than the hybrids, but the hybrids are taller than the Israelites. Uh, and we talked about that in series past, that they were seven to nine feet tall as opposed to nine feet and taller for, for the Rephaim. And that all of the kings in Psalms 135, 10 to 11 in Canaan were mighty kings. And again, mighty goes back to the word atzum and atzum. And these are the mighty kings in the time of the conquest that Psalm 135, 10 is, is talking about. And in the mighty seven, the nations that are greater than Oh, I'll just back up just a little bit. So these mighty kings were like Og and Sihon. And so you have Og, Sihon, and the Canaanite kings. So we should look for a relationship in terms of those kings. And the nations that were greater, that's the Hebrew word rab. And it means in size, and in numbers, and in leadership. So both in terms of the physical size of the leadership and the numerous kings and city-state kings that were amongst the mighty seven. So they greatly outnumbered the Israelites. And in Psalm 136, uh, 17 to 20, these great kings are the famous kings like Og and Sihon. And again, talking about the Canaanite kings as well. 
And that great word great, greater in the mighty seven in, in Deuteronomy 7 and Joshua 3 that we talked about goes back to the Hebrew word gadol and which is rooted in gadol. And it means great man, long of age, large and tall and proud. And gadol means proud, boasters, hubris, so they overreach with their power and did great feats. And these kings were also famous kings. They were the ones that had a mighty, glorious reputation and were very powerful kings. And that's the Hebrew word adir. So these are like the men of renown in Genesis 6-4. Not quite the same, but similar. These are the Rephaim and not the Nephilim. The Rephaim are the post-Diluvian uh, kings. And so we start to put together the list of the leadership because when we look at that great greater Rab number, it's about the leadership. And these are the leadership of the Rephaim kings that are overseeing the hybrid nations and the city-states throughout the land of the covenant. So you have this mix of Rephaim kings and warriors, and then you have all of the hybrids uh, who married into the Rephaim and created a larger race that were taller than the Israelites, but not as tall as the giants, the Raphaim. And so in the central campaign, Israel crosses into the dragon's den of giants and hybrids. And they camp at Gigal. And Gigal is just uh, west of, of the Jordan River and east of Jericho. And Gigal means wheel and is part of a series of ancient polytheist worship sites with Gilgal Raphaim, which the Israelites just came from, from the Bashan area after defeating Sihon and Og. This is one of those sort of circular worship sites of pilgrimage of the ancient giant and Raphaim culture. Very, very important site and very, very important symbolism that Israel would camp there. And so not only do we get an order of who and why Israel was attacking before the central campaign with taking out covenant members, settling old scores, and showing all of the Raphaim and the hybrids in the covenant land what happens to the most powerful of the Raphaim kings Og and Sihon with their defeats. You have them camping in a symbolic way at one of their most holy sites. And it gives them access throughout the mountains so that they're going to be able to tactically take on the uh, central and southern tribes from Gilgal and then go up north and take on the northern tribes. So tactically, Joshua is leading an extraordinarily detailed, strategic, filled with tactical uh, maneuvers and battles to take on this dragon's den of giants, beginning with Jericho, as we talked about. And in Joshua 6.2, uh, in Jericho, this was the first city of the campaign. And the kings and the warriors that were talked about hiding within the walls of Jericho and I think this is a royal city, and it's a royal city of the Amorites. You can see how that fits in as we, we continue today. But in, in Joshua 6, 2, it says, The kings and the warriors were mighty men. 
And again, that's the word gibberim, the mighty ones, the same word that is used for to, to describe the Nephilim in Genesis 6-4, the men of fame, the men of renown, the mighty ones of old. And they're described in a similar manner with also the word men of great valor, which means strength and, and might. And so we know that Jericho, which is an ant famous antediluvian city that we would have covered off in, 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 in episode uh, 46, um, it was a symbolic city sending a statement to it. And I think it was the royal city of the Amorites. So we do know it is an Amorite city. And the second city is an Amorite city that the Israelites and Joshua attacked, the city of Ai. And it's the second city of Amorites that also contains Canaanites living amongst the Amorites. And just as Jericho also had Canaanites. So they're kind of intermixed, but these were considered, these were not considered the pentapolis of Canaanite cities that are in the Sodom and Gomorrah region and talked about in Genesis 14 in the war of four kings against five. This is other, these are other Canaanites. And this is part of the Amorite sort of leadership of the central alliance. And so you're going to see in the wording, Amorites almost used interchangeably with the Hivites and the Jebusites in the central and just sort of edging in onto the southern um, aspect of the, of the covenant land. And so don't, don't look at the use of Amorites as being inaccurate. It, they were the lead player in terms of central and parts of southern um, land of the covenant, just as Numbers 13 talks about and lists them out. So Jebusites, Hivites, and Amorites are part of this central alliance. And we're going to see how this alliance works together after the fall of the city of Ai, the second city of the Amorites. And in Joshua 9, 1 and 2, it talks about after Ai, all of the mighty seven of the covenant, they start to bind into this alliance to stand against Israel because of the absolute awesome power that God is delivering up to Israel and slaughtering of Jericho and the kings and I and what happened east of the Jordan River. So they find, they feel that they need to bind together, but one tribe does not. One tribe is the tribe of Gibeon, from the city of Gibeon. And Gibeon is, they actually sue and make peace. And whether or not Joshua knew that they were uh, Gibeonites as being Hivites, which they are, and we know they're Hivites in uh, Joshua 9, 3, 11, 19, and 9, 7. So we know they're Hivites, and they're also called Gibeonites because that's the city that they're from. The story that we get in the Bible, which I accept, is says that he did not realize they were part of the people. Uh, they had deceived him that they had come from somewhere else. But this is a powerful city, powerful city of Hivites in the Central Alliance. And in Joshua 10, 2, Gibeon is called a royal city of the Hivites, just as I think Jericho was the royal city of the Amorites. And so you have now all of the hybrid Raphael-led 
kingdoms and pentapolises throughout the covenant line aligned except together to take on Israel, but Gibeon decides not to. And Gibeon is a very powerful city-state as a royal city-state. So King Adonazetic of Jerusalem and a Jebusite king becomes very angry about Gibeon. And he's fearful because of all of the powerful warriors that are in Gibeon. Because Gibeon is filled in this account in Joshua 10 with mighty men. These are Raphaim. These are Gibberim, as mighty men go back to. A term often used to describe giants. Not always, but in the application, this seems to be talking about the Raphaim and the powerful king that would have been leading them. And they didn't want Gibeon to be allied with Israel. That was how powerful, that they were afraid it might actually tip the balance. And instead of attacking Israel right away, the king of Jerusalem calls in his Jebusite Pentapolis city-states and all the, all the other villages with them to gather around Gibeon to destroy Gibeon because they don't want any help going to Israel to help them. They want to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. So they're so fearful of Gibeon, they're going to line up and attack them. And Gibeon is very, very fearful, but Joshua comes to the rescue. And he defeats all of the kings, including the king of, of Makeda. And so you have King Adonazetic of Jerusalem. And I think Hoham of Hebron is a Jebusite that comes with him. And Piram of Yarmuth. And Yafia of Lashish. And Debir of Eglon. So you have the five kings uh, of the Jebusite Pentapolis that are gathering against Gibeon. And Hebron, as you recall, is the home of the, of the Talmai, uh, Sheshai, and Hahiman, Anakim kings, talked about not only in Numbers 13.33, but also in the time of the judges. And as, as when we come back to the Southern Campaign in a few episodes down uh, the road, we'll cover off them some more. But this is the Pentapolis city of Jebusites that are uh, going to face off against Gibeon. And Joshua comes in and he chases them to Makedah and slaughters all of the kings. And then after the battle of, of these five Jebusite kings, and understand that Jerusalem is never taken. So in the battles of the cities that Joshua is going to take thereafter, it's not going to include Jerusalem. And uh, it was a very, very powerful city that was, as, I'm talk, as I'll talk about in detail in, in my new book, it, it was home of the remnant of the Hyksos, who are connected uh, to the Raphaim and the hybrids, and was bolstered with powerful iron weapons and chariots and a fortress that was almost impossible to get in except for the heroics of David and his men who you know, over 400 years later will come in and take Jerusalem. But again, that's another, another you know, terrific little story in the details, but we need to stay on track here, even though I'd love to cover that off right now. But um, we're going to stick with the central campaign and understanding the Pentapolis city-states 
that were lined up in the central campaign that Joshua was taking on. So Joshua then goes and destroys cities of the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Hivites. And in Joshua 10, 37, it, 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 it lists not only cities before that and after that, but all the cities thereof. So he's taking out all of the cities that these five kings came from except for Jerusalem and destroying them like Ai and Jericho. And so cities that Joshua destroys that are listed are Libna, Lashish, Gezer, Eglon, Hebron, Eglon, and Debir. And don't get confused with Debir as a city here as with Debir as the king of Eglon. Typically what happens, and again, as I cover off in my new book, I'll make those connections uh, in detail for you and show you in, in many applications that not only were there pat patronymic names to the kings, they were also named after cities or a patrial based. And so they were kind of used more than once as for a place and for a king and connected to their history and their genealogies and bloodlines. So Debir is both a king of Eglon here and also a city because it's listed as one of those cities. But also when you look at the cities that Joshua is destroying as he's going through and all the other cities that are attached to these Pentapolis city centers because they were a web network of, 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 of military defensive and offensive capabilities that were enacted by the hybrid nations backed by the Rephaim. But you have Libna, Gezer, and Debir that are listed that aren't listed amongst the five kings of, of, of the Jebusites. And what's interesting in Joshua 10, it, you know, right at the beginning, it talks about the Amorite kings and it goes on to the Jebusite kings. And I think it's talking about both here. So you have the five Pentapolis city-states of Jericho, and you also have the, the Pentapolis city-states of, of, of Jerusalem. So don't get confused with the Amorites and the king of Jerusalem, who would have been a Jebusite, even though they were closely related. They were part of the alliance with the Amorites as the most dominant player. And so the three cities, Libna, Gezer, and Debir, are actually Amorite cities. So now if we rebuild the major Pentapolis cities or perhaps even the royal cities with other cities uh, attached to them in, in their defensive alignment, you have the Amorites, you have Jericho, Ai, Debir, Gezer, and Libna. Just like the Midianites had five kings, just like there's the five king Pentapolis states of the Philistines. And then you also have the five Pentapolis city that we talked about in terms of the Jebusites, Jerusalem, Hebron, which you could also argue uh, was heavily infiltrated with, with Anakim, uh, Yarmouth, Lashish, and Eglon. And the Hivites had five cities as well. And so the Hivites in the central region would have had Gibeon as the royal city, as we talked about. And then you're going to have Kephra and Abiroth, Kiriath, Jerem. But that's only four that are listed. So we have to dig a little bit deeper. So who would be the fifth if, if the consistency to the Pentapolis 
military strategy of the Rafaim and their hybrids um, continued, then we would expect there should be five cities in there. So if we go to Genesis 34, 30 to 32, you get the account of Dina and Hamor at Shechem. And again, that's another interesting story as to what's going on with the nature of who the Hivim are as Raphaim and the Hivites as the, as the hybrids. But this is the Prince Hamer of Shechem city. And many historians think Shechem was one of the royal cities. But we also know that Shechem was a Hivite city. So that would be the fifth city of the Hivites in the central region. Okay, so we have in this central alliance, just as there's a southern alliance of nations, and just as there's a northern alliance of nations, and just as there was an eastern alliance of nations with Sihon, Og in the Bashan region, and the Midianites a little bit further south, you will have this central alliance that Joshua took on. So he's taking them on in that sort of natural alliance kind of nature one at a time in those alliances. So it's, it's important to understand his tactics and his strategy and the order. And a lot of people might say, but Hivites were more than just in the central region. Correct. And again, in my book, I'll cover the difference between the Hivim and the Hivites. I also have a, have a document on the central campaign if people want to get a hold of me on this that I can send to you. But they're sort of, uh, the Hivites are in the central region, but there's possibly two other regions where most of them are centered around. So whether or not there's three or there's five, I think there's three major areas. And the in the north, you're going to find um, the Hivites uh, in the Bashan region, which was probably mostly the, the Raphaim. Also understand the Amorites were led by King Og and Sihon, so there was Amorite hybrids in Bashan as well. But also in Bashan you have the Hivim and probably some Hiv Hivite hybrids as well. And they're located in Bashan of the Mitzpah region and also in Hamath. And so, um, and that is from Baal Hermon in Lebanon to Hamath. So you got those two regions. You got Mitzvah and Baal Hermon to uh, Hamath in the Lebanon um, region. So that kind of makes sense of what is being talked about in Second Samuel 24, 7, where you have the cities that are the remnant of the Amorites in the region of Tyre. And again, that's not inaccurate. Understand that the Hivites were part of, as the hybrids were part of the Amorite alliance out of the, out of the central region, but they had pockets that were located uh, elsewhere, just as the Girgashites have pockets that are located in a couple areas. And just as you have the Hittites that were located down in around Hebron in time of Abraham and also the northern region. And just as in the Shechem story that we know is of the time of Prince Hamer and, and early uh, in the lives of the tribes of Israel with just the sons and Jacob, 
uh, in the in 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 the story with Dina, you have Jacob being concerned that Levi and Judah have upset sort of the the political landscape there that included the Perizim and the Perizzites, probably. And again, in my book, I'll talk about the Perizim in detail that were located in that region as well, which is why they're part of the Mighty Seven, but they're also part of the Og Alliance as part of the unwalled city, unwalled villages, as opposed to the walled villages within the Covenant land, of uh, part of that military tactical approach for both offense and defense that the Rephaim and the hybrids had. So you get you have those connections which are very, very important to understand and try and, and, and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to keep them separate and trying to figure out where, where they lived. So understand they had main areas, but they also had some pockets. A lot of the nations had pockets of settlements elsewhere throughout the covenant land on both sides of the, of the Jordan River. And then after the battle with the Central Alliance, Joshua goes back to Gagel because that is going to go up that vine, that sort of, um, um, I'm trying to looking for the right word. It, it's almost like the spine or that goes up through the mountains that he can get to the north and the south and the east and the west. And he camps at Gilgal again. And then they start to prepare for the Northern Alliance. And again, the Northern Alliance is this significant alliance that's even bigger than the Central Alliance. This is when it's talked about in Joshua 10 that all of the mighty seven came together, allied in common cause to destroy Israel. This is the largest portion may not be the most powerful because I think the South is even more powerful, but it is going to be a campaign of the most significant size of armies and kings that has never been seen before taken on by one ragtag nation that just came out of the desert of the desert. So until next time, um, may God continue to bless you and please get a hold of me anytime through my website at the genesis6conspiracy.com if you have any questions or you want any more information on what we've talked about today. Thank you.